don't clip your wings. Like if it does, and trust your gut. If it doesn't feel right, it's not right. And that's okay. You know, the, there's so many, I guess it's maybe a hierarchy thing within the dance industry, you know, where you're taught that dancers aren't allowed to have a voice and, you know, you, you mm. can't speak to people. That is absolutely not the case. And I, and I really, really wish that people would tell younger dancers that as well. You're allowed to have a voice. You're allowed to speak up if you're uncomfortable with something. Um, there's a difference between speaking up and, and asking questions and being disrespectful and finding that, that, finding that balance and finding where that is, is absolutely key to progressing massively. Welcome to the podcast for ballerinas, adult ballerinas, parents of ballerinas, and everyone in between. I'm your host, Georgia Canning, also known as the Balance Ballerina, and it's my mission to break down the elitist barriers often associated with ballet. Through my own studios and ballet-related businesses, I'm all about providing space and content for people from all walks of life to experience and enjoy the many benefits of ballet. Each month, I'll bring you industry leaders and thought-provoking guests who will hopefully inspire you to lead a more balanced life, full of grace, with a little grit. Hello, everybody. How are we? There is so much in this episode that I don't even know where to begin. It's less question and answer and I guess more of a conversation between two friends. Look, I've been meaning to catch up with Rose and record an episode of the podcast for quite a long time now. We go way back, childhood friends dancing side by side for only a couple of years, but a couple of very formative years in our teens. Before the pandemic hit, Rose was working on a feature film and a HBO special, which meant that she was constantly flying between London, New York, LA and Paris. Sounds super glamorous, doesn't it? (laughs) So it was really hard to, I guess, lock her down for some of her precious time. But like many, Rose has recently found herself with a little extra time on her hands. And of course, you know, the work of an artist never stops, but she's certainly not traveling like she was before the lockdown. Currently, Rose is settled at home in London. Now, we cover so many topics in this conversation, and it was really nice to connect with an old friend who can relate to a time in your life that so few can. You'll hear that we often dance around a few topics, um, look a little unsure sometimes about what to share publicly in case it deters a young dancer from chasing their dreams. But I want any young dancers listening to know that whilst there are still some shockingly abusive teachers around, they are so few and far between than back in my day. These days, it's so easy to expose indecent practices and teachers who are in this profession for the wrong reasons just they just can't get away with what they used to my advice parents do your research students trust your gut and these days there truly are some beautiful ballet teachers who are constantly striving to produce more holistic and healthy dancers so when you find one hold on to them for dear life 
Anyway, I admire Rose's ability to so eloquently describe her thoughts and feelings around past events whilst forgiving and moving past, but more importantly, moving forward with her art, her vision and her purpose. Now, this episode was recorded about four weeks ago during a time that studio owners like myself and freelancers like Rose were navigating our thoughts and feelings around online teaching. My studio is currently back in the studio, thank God, but I do share how we went about joining the online landscape whilst Rose shares some thoughts that I couldn't agree with more about teaching online. But the main reason why I invited Rose onto the podcast was because she is a true artist. I mean, sometimes I come across a young student who naively declares that they're going to start a dance company or be an artist when they grow up. But what does that even mean? And what does that even look like? I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like bloody hard work. And it looks like a lot of sacrifice. Rose so kindly shares an incredibly vulnerable story during this episode of what it's really like to be an artistic director trying to get a performance off the ground. So much can go wrong between that initial idea for a performance, its execution and the finished product, especially when the arts is so incredibly underfunded compared to other industries. Now, let's not sugarcoat this. It's incredibly easy to have a dream or vision. It's not so easy to execute. And most don't have the guts, the drive, determination or willpower to push forward when the world seems to be crumbling from underneath them. Let alone the grit to make it happen against all odds and the grace to ask for help when the purpose is far greater than you. To me, this is what a true artist is someone who believes so much in what they are creating that it doesn't matter what challenges they face, the show must simply go on. Before I launch into our conversation, I just wanted to say, I'm so proud of you, Rose. I still look up to you as I did when I was a little girl. And look, we have different dreams today, but if I walk through life with even half the grit that you possess, I'll be pretty fortunate. Happy listening, everyone. And if you enjoy this conversation, I do urge you to go follow Rose on Instagram at Rose Alice Official. She is the Artistic Director of International Arts Collective, a choreographer and dancer with Mass Movement Agency and a producer of Loud Group. You can find all the links to all her work on her personal at Rose Alice Official Instagram. Enjoy. We, like we don't actually use the lights in our house we have like stage lights all over oh. <laughs> wait 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 so that makes sense now as to why you have such cool lighting in i was yeah in your home videos because i was watching one of your lives the other day and i was like it looks like she's on a bloody stage like <laughs> no this happens when you like have two like creatives who own businesses live together. We've got smoke machines, we have stage lighting, we have like a whole bunch of shit. So we can make it all vibe. <laughs> That's so cool. That makes so much sense now because I was looking at it going like, how has she got this cool lighting? Like I, I just couldn't work it out. So what is your like living situation at the moment in London? Like what, what who are you with? So who are the I- creatives? What do they do? 
So I live with uh, one of my best friends, Dane, and Dane is Canadian. He is, we actually only met last year, and he was the owner of Onyx, which is um, uh, was a brand new um, studio that opened in East London. And as I was going through what I was going through last year, he started to also lose his business um, because of a crazy investor. It was very simultaneous, actually, what we both went through last year. Um, and then I ended up not having anywhere to stay. So I was actually sleeping on his couch for ages. And then things kept getting worse at the studio. And then his current roommate left, moved out. And now we live together. And we're like, that worked out. It was like a really nice bit of silver lining to a really, really horrible few months. Um, but yeah, we have a really cool space here. So we live in Shoreditch, which is like the cool part of East London, um, which is like central London. Um, and because our place is just like a blank canvas, it's literally just like a white box. We actually have it kind of as a showroom, actually, um, for like a fashion PR brand as well. So we've actually got a couple of designers stuff here at the moment. Um, I'm going to describe for listeners that you just showed me because it's a podcast, Rosie. <laughs> That's, it's actually very cool. It's like you've got racks of clothing, very fashionable looking clothing and very cool lighting that's like fluoro and pink and red and it's all of, of, look, of course you live in a place like that. <laughs> it's just so you. So we should probably um, let listeners know because they'll like I, I have a lot of um, regular listeners and they'll probably go, oh, Georgia was really relaxed during that interview. <laughs> so we should probably let people know yeah, know how we know each other and um, and and yeah, why you're probably like I was saying earlier, one of the first interview interviewees that I haven't prepared for <laughs> because I thought I'm just really looking forward to having a chat with my friend <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I mean so we so Georgia and I trained together when we were quite young um and then I'm kind of just gonna leave it there because I don't really want to go into all of it but it was like a really informative yeah. enlightening life-changing few years because I was, I would have been 13, 14. Yeah, we were younger, I think. Or younger, 12, younger, 12, 13. Like a year older than you. And yeah, so that kind of time was very intense um, classical ballet training, basically. And then after that, you know, you went your direction. I started country hopping and... Yeah, it was actually only recently, not recently, but a few months ago when I can't even remember what it was that you wrote. You wrote something on Instagram and apart from, you know, liking each other's posts here and there over the past few years, like we haven't actually connected properly. And then from that, whatever it was that you posted, it kind of, it, I guess it was a trigger in a way. <laughs> I was like, oh, must reach out to you <laughs> and um, reconnect and you know, it's really interesting for me because we've both had incredibly different paths considering, you know, the fact that we had the same training for a period of time or the same life in a way for a period of time as a child. Um, but also morally and integrity and, and all of those things have also been very, very simultaneously aligned, I guess. Um, 
even though we've been in different countries and doing very different things. So it's nice to kind of do full circle, I guess, and come back, <laughs> come back to this. Yeah. But I think, um, I, 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 yeah, I will admit, I don't usually ever admit where I was before the Australian Ballet School. If people want to know, it's very easy to find out. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're probably the same. Um, but it, 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 you know, uh, it was a bit intense. Uh, just think some of your worst kind of nightmares when it comes to classical ballet full-time training. <laughs> um, however, I think one of the reasons why you and I might always circle back to each other was probably because we were always very much compared to each other. Yeah. I was like the younger version of you. And yeah. so we were always sort of, um, which was really funny and kudos to us because we were always sort of, I was always told to look up to you and to copy what you're doing and you were always told to look after me, but then it was also in a very competitive way. And so kudos to us for actually, for, for the listeners, you used to come home because you were boarding there. So you mm-hmm. used to come home with me quite a few weekends in a row and hang out with me and my family so that you got, you know, a good family dose and, um, and it was really nice. And so we actually, we actually forged a really lovely friendship. And it's, it's really funny. I'd actually forgotten about the amount of time you and I used to spend together. Yeah. And sort of felt like sisters Mm -hmm. until, you know, you reached out to me recently. So yeah, yeah. I think as well, I mean, I've always, especially as a, like being older and, and an adult in this, um, incredibly interesting industry and planet of ours um I've always been the one that doesn't quite fit in and that's mentally physically creatively like in every way and I feel like you've always been a little bit the same as well you know we're very much um you know we're free thinkers and we are critical thinkers and we always think outside the box and we act outside the box and often that in itself just separates you from so many people but when you have like-minded others you know you do always end up reconnecting because we're alien and we're so there's not many of us you know I have a I can five people you know probably on the planet that I can really say hand on heart are think and operate the same as the same way that I do so Mm. and you're one of them (laughs) oh that that is I I feel very honored that you just said that but because I think though when we were younger it came across as maybe acting out or it came across as challenging you know what everyone was telling us we should be doing and I think now it's quite beautiful to see we have finally as adults and I consider us still young women we finally sort of have, it's quite, I think it's really amazing. I'm just going to toot our own horn for a second because no, because like really it's quite amazing that we were able to do what we've done. You know, me having my studio and doing things differently, you having a dance career as a professional, very differently to the norm, which we're going to get into, but we were just pushed back, pushed back, pushed back, you know, slapped in the face, not physically, but mentally (laughs) many times. And it's quite, it's quite amazing that we were able to come out of that. The force must have been strong (laughs) because we still have gone against the grain and done what we wanted to do. Um, Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And we are the only two 
who have done it in that particular field as well. And I think that speaks volumes because not because everyone else that was in that same situation with us didn't hasn't built beautiful lives for themselves, but not in this industry. Yeah. Right. Well, I wanted I wanted to get into. Um, can you share with the listeners in regards to your crazy journey and uh. your let's <laughs> let's let's pick up because you have many accomplishments, Rose. Like I'm so proud of you. Let's oh, um, let's just do like in a nutshell because I want to get into the the meat. But let's sort of um, and you've got some incredible stories to tell. But let's do in a nutshell, uh, probably from when you left Australia. God, I'm going to skip forward a few years from when I initially left Australia because I was still kind of like, um, I guess, you know, initially like I went to France for a while and then I went back and then I had quite a turbulent, um, you know, breakdown at yeah. 17, 18 and then I was in New York for a while and then I was back in Australia for a bit and then um, eventually I actually moved to Asia and this is where I think, you know, I did So Think You Can Dance in Australia and I did... Um, I started doing, I guess, after my breakdown, I, I, I took quite a bit of time away from dance. And actually, I thought to myself, I would never go back to it um, because of being mentally, physically, emotionally sick and injured and just completely burnt out beyond the point of what I thought repair. And once I stepped away from it for, you know, 12 months, I realized that actually the problem wasn't the craft. The problem was the intention and, and, and why I was doing it. So I think having that time away and, you know, making mistakes, having normal jobs, you know, finding and building friendships with people outside of dance and all of those things really put me in a position of realizing that, no, I, I, I definitely don't want to be in Australia, that I don't feel grounded there. It's not where I feel like home. I do want to dance and I want to, but I want to build a career that is fueled by me doing it because I want to do it and because it's part of who I am as opposed to doing it because people tell me that I'm good at it and trying to seek validation from anyone and everyone that would possibly give it. So from there, I, um, I got a job in Singapore and I was working on a project in Singapore for I think three or four months. And then after that, the director basically asked if I wanted to stay in Asia and go to Hong Kong for a project for a while. And, oh, sorry, I thought someone was talking in the house. Um, yeah, so then I, I basically was offered to stay in Asia for a while and I expected to be there for maybe a month or two and I ended up staying for a few years. And in that time, I started working with different choreographers, different directors, doing different styles of dance, traveling every second day, you know, and then started branching out in back into New York and working in Europe and it kind of all started going just more than I could have possibly ever imagined. Um, and then after a couple of years, I, I just thought, you know, I love Hong, uh, Hong Kong was where I was based and I have so much love for Hong Kong and China and every part of Asia, but creatively I felt a bit stuck and like I was ready to, you know, get back to, I guess the, not the tradition, but you know, the artistic freedom that, you know, being a contemporary ballet dancer and not just an all rounder kind of gave me. Um, so I was supposed to actually move back to New York and then a few visa issues um, came up with my ex-boyfriend actually, which is the only reason that we came to London. Um, and since being in London, I 
have still just, I continue to work in Asia quite a lot. I travel and I perform all over the world. Um, and London as a base and as a home is quite remarkable for me. And I honestly never thought that I would find myself in a city that I felt like home because wherever I've lived in eight different countries on enough. And every time I'm there for, you know, 12 or 18 months, I get that itch. Like I need to move again or it never feels permanent. Um, Mm. but London after even three or four months did. So I'm now in a position where I'm working between, like I was saying to you just before we started this, you know, I've been for the past few months, been working between London, LA, New York and Paris, um, on a couple of different projects. And I've literally been back and forth and having London as a home is just the most remarkable thing. I think it is, it's a bit like Hollywood in a sense, and people don't think this about London, but it can either do incredible things for you or it can eat you up and spit you out. And that very much depends on your approach to things and your mindset and the consistency of your work and and, and your training and all those types of things. Um, so yeah that's kind of where where I'm at now without going into like actual specific jobs it's it's um yeah yeah that's kind of I guess the the way that everything's happened and moved um and well before yeah before um oh sorry (laughs) don't you love the delay (laughs) on zoom it's great um (laughs) the um well before coronavirus hit and the world went crazy um, you were working on a, you probably can't say exactly what, what it is, but you were working on a HBO series. Like that's incredible. Yeah. So that was all supposed to, I was in New York um, just prior to lockdown and I was actually in JFK airport when Trump announced that he was closing the borders, which was a weird experience. You know, I was, oh. the, I was also on the red eye. So it was really, really late at night and I was tired and I'd been dancing all day and then like dragged myself to the airport and I sat there and I had my headphones in and my book and I just saw these people just start like running around and running to the desk. And I was like, Oh, Oh no. <laughs> so it's like a Phoebe moment from friends. I was like, Oh no, something's happened. Um, and then obviously everything just got progressively worse from there, but I was fortunate enough, fortunate enough to um, get on my flight to come home. Um, but yeah, since then, I know I've been working on a couple of, um, different projects but the big ones I was a feature film and also this thing with HBO and it's all it's not nothing's been cancelled but it's all been postponed indefinitely and unfortunately these are the two jobs that haven't even the feature film is half finished (laughs) and the series is not even you know in production yet so it's all just a waiting game now we just have to wait and see when things get back up and running what a shame. Yeah. Like it's just, yeah. I mean, but it, it's like everything at the moment. It is what it is. So we, we were talking before um, we started recording about online teaching. <laughs> so how much have you been doing? Um, do you like it, Rose? And, uh, and what's been your experience with it so far? Okay, and then so I'll tell you mine. <laughs> yeah, so I have been avoiding it like the plague for two reasons. Um, one, I only teach in London. I, I, I cover professional ballet classes and my classes that I give are contemporary ballet for professionals and for my company and, and whatnot. Um, I don't like 
watching myself teach so teaching on live social media anything is really not my jam um i've done i've done a couple for capizio um but i've done none on my own platforms at all i've literally done a couple of zoom privates um for some kids that i already knew Um, but that being said i don't think i would teach online if i didn't already know or have a relationship with the students because Mm. i think kids in particular are very visual and you know it's really hard to you know i find it difficult to learn choreography from a video at any point in time so i have an immense amount of empathy for these kids who are desperately trying to learn who are finding it really difficult um but fundamentally my issue with it is that i don't know if it's the same over there but here overnight everyone became a teacher and everyone that that has been doing it since day one not everyone but there is a vast majority of people who don't have regular classes who aren't normally teachers and they went straight in and started offering it for free now this made it really difficult for anyone to actually monetize on anything long term because why how can you justify charging someone for something that they can get for free from a better quality person or not um so this whole you know fighting for more pay for dancers and you know all of these things immediately was just like set back again because of the people, you know, not because of an institution or a body or anything like that. So I, I think it's good if people feel like they're getting a benefit out of it and if people are being compensated um, correctly, but I'm personally not about it at all. I think yeah. it, I mean, you have a studio, you have a relationship with those students, it's different, you know, and also it's your business to keep that going. For me, like I teach as a freelance every now and then, that's not, it's not what, what my job is, or it's not where my life is, you know? Yeah. So how about you? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, okay, so I, during this time, completely went against the grain. And at first I was saying that oh I'm so lucky I can afford to um just do very minimal online teaching but then I realized I'm not lucky (laughs) me and my mom worked actually very very hard to have a Mm -hmm. business where we don't live paycheck to paycheck and we had money set aside for a rainy day um which was to actually hopefully buy our own premise one day um Mm -hmm. but that's not going to happen now (laughs) not for a little while um But I kind of agree with you. Um, I've had, it's really funny. So I took absolutely no new students. Um, I don't know what it's like in London, but on the Gold Coast, for example, um, a lot of studios and in Australia in general, a lot of studios, the biggest sort of really hungry, steal your students kind of studios (laughs) that no offense, have no sort of ethics or morals, um, use this as an opportunity to gain new students. Mm-hmm. So they took their big staffs and they got them all online and they ran free weeks and trial this and blah, 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 and join our studio. And it was really ugly and it was really yucky. And what a lot of people didn't think about when they were tackling this was just coming from a, a point of empathy and playing the long game instead of the short game. So what I did was I sat down and I went, okay, like realistically, what can we teach online? 
I'm not comfortable taking acro classes. I'm not comfortable even taking jazz classes. We can do ballet bar. We can do some body conditioning. We can do some Pilates. Um, my body conditioning classes, I put up a post actually today because I had a few people ask me, what are you doing in those classes? <laughs> and I was like, it's basically a fusion of, oh, how would I even explain it? It's kind of like um, tribal dancing slash yoga slash <laughs> meditation slash Pilates. And let's just like fuse it all into one. Because <laughs> They're kind of easy things to follow. And, you know, I've got the kids like tapping their heart to a beat and like taking big grand plies. And we're not focusing on getting the perfect feet and getting higher extensions and improving our flexibility. I'm literally just getting them to move their bodies because I am genuinely worried about their mental health. But then there's a whole nother layer and complexity to this in the fact that families are working from home and studios are kind of just thinking me, 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 and they're expecting families to drop what they're doing and let their child take over the lounge room for three hours every afternoon and do their contemporary, their jazz and their ballet class. And I was like, that's not fair on a family unit and, and it's, it's not, not realistic. No, and it's not sustainable. And I think they had a lot of upkeep at the start because what they did was they sent out invoices and said, here you go, everybody, our full timetables online. Um, and here's our full invoice for the term with like a 10% discount. And I was like, and so a lot of families felt trapped. And I know why, and I know this for a fact, because my dentist said the other day that her little daughter dances and they were sending an invoice for the term fees. Term was as normal. It was just propped online and it had a 10% discount. And she felt trapped. So she paid it. And the kids after five weeks was like, no, nah, I'm not doing it anymore. Whereas I said to all our families, look, I'm going against the grain here. I'm not comfortable taking any more than 20 kids in a class. So instead of I've seen classes with like a hundred kids in them plus, how, how can you see what they're doing? How do you know that they're being safe? Yeah. Yeah. And so I just said to our families, I said, you know, um, look, this is what we're doing. There's going to be very limited spots. Um, but I know that a lot of you won't take this option because it won't work for your family anyway, whether it's financially or space or whatever. And um, I'm going to make this very easy for you to opt in or opt out. You just let me know. Um, and then I, I already had stuff up on YouTube that was free and available. So I said to everyone, you know, if you can't afford this right now, we, we dropped our price significantly, um, a little bit, you know, not, not ridiculously, but you know, um, cause I just, it's not the same quality as being in the studio. And so I said, if you can't afford this right now, because you know, everyone's struggling financially, um, then there are the, the, my, my free options on YouTube, but they were already up there and they were homework and they were in addition to their yeah. classes. Do you know what I mean? Um, it's not a replacement, but you know, tough times, if that's all you can afford, that's, that's, you know, you have that option. Yeah. Um, the difference has been that I've had a select amount of kids that, that I know how they work. I know what their challenges are. I know what their strengths, I know what their weaknesses are. So it's very easy to continue teaching them online. I had one particular parent who I did have space in my six to nine years class. I had one spot left and this parent for the last five weeks has been bugging me about joining in. And I have never met this child before. 
but this parent was insistent and she had her first class on Tuesday and she had, because that relationship isn't there, she had no idea what she was doing. It was super unsafe. I was really worried about her. She didn't know what my expectations were. Like it just, it just didn't work. So I'm with you in regards to, yeah, it's here, it's here too. People that aren't teachers are all of a sudden teachers. Um, and I, and look, I get it. It's so hard. I mean, if you're in a company and you're a professional dancer and you've lost your, you know, income and your livelihood, like I get it. You would jump yeah. into teaching, but I'm watching a lot of professionals take classes like open classes on Instagram and going, this is for beginners. This is not for beginners. This is, this is for an advanced student absolutely yeah. yeah and so I'm just really which is why I've invited people on the podcast over the last couple of weeks like Deborah Crookshanks who's um, a really well uh, known physiotherapist um, and musculoskeletal therapist sorry it's very late at night I'm struggling to get my words out um, <laughs> um, and in Australia and she's like in agreement with me in regards to we're very worried about what injuries we're going to see when everyone actually returns to the studio. I mean, not just students though. Like I have literally been saying this. I've been trying to do as much as I possibly can to maintain, um, you know, my body and, and, and stamina and all these things. But I honestly am worried that as soon as I get into a studio, I'm back into like a normal two classes and then a rehearsal kind of day that I am going to end up injured because there's only so much you can do and what have you yeah. been doing so I've been doing I've been walking because I can't run I have a bad hip so um, my left hip is a dodgy hip it's been injured many 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 times so I can't run so I feel like my because it I just aggravates it so I feel like my stamina is just like gone but um I've been yeah walking doing like um kind of I guess strength work and a bar every day and then when I've been working on um, choreography for different projects, then obviously like I'm dancing as full out as possible. But I had a studio to myself for the first time on Tuesday and it, uh, I danced so full out with feeling that I thought I was going to be sick. Like it was just like so insane and it was wonderful. But the next day I was like feeling things in my back that I haven't felt before. And I was like, oh, this is... Yeah, it's it's going to be a hard one for kids and for professionals to get back to where they were because there's only so much you can do in a confined space. And with the headspace of what we're going through as well, you know, like you don't have the momentum that you do to go and do class sometimes because it's heavy and it's, you know, and that's okay as well, but it's not great for the body, but it's, <laughs> you have to just ride the waves, I guess. I have a question for you. Yeah. Do you do you have a bad hip because of do you think that's possibly because of the extreme stretching that we were put through? No, I think No. No, I well, maybe initially I fell quite badly when I was 18 and injured it then and then I dislocated it twice and torn my psoas multiple times um and but actually it's been since the dislocation which I did in rehearsals for a show in Singapore I was dancing on trampoline and it badly um 
And it's been since, since that injury, it's never been the same. And when I dislocated it, it, it went out so badly and I put it back in slightly wrong, but I actually tore everything around it. Um, oh. So it's always just like a bit like, <laughs> like it goes like that and then it's just kind of, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it's, you know what I'm so incredibly flexible now and it's never gone to waste it because of what we did that it probably has played a factor into it um mm. but it's hard to say really yeah. really hard because I, I know a couple of girls that we used to dance with um in that particular group and uh one is one has had back, uh, not back surgery. One's about to go have back surgery. Won't name any names. Hmm. Spinal surgery, very serious. And one has just had hip surgery. My God. And we are talking about young women under the age of 30. They should not be going and having hip replacements and spinal surgery. No. I feel like I probably should have an everything replacement, but I just don't. <laughs> but I think, but I think you were also extremely flexible to begin with. Well, also I think as well, it's because I'm strong a bit like you, like we were always losing mm. power. Like I have got insane flexibility in my hips, but I'm also incredibly strong. So I feel like apart from injuries, which I've never injured myself from just dancing, I've done crazy things. like dancing on trampoline and getting my foot stuck and like falling or you know like landing badly like I haven't ever done anything that's not been like epic force <laughs> to injure myself um you know like I broke my hand at pineapple studios um last year I actually like cracked my thumb because I grongetted into the ceiling like I do silly things <laughs> did my you know that did you know that Christiane so um for the listeners Christiane actually you would have heard from her she's I think oh way back Christiane um uh is actually I interviewed her for the podcast so ah. she's the she's the one for anyone that's listened to her episode um the one who's Gal Gadot's stunt double in Wonder Woman but yeah. um, she she broke her wrist in my studio, <laughs> and I was mortified. She is I've only ever had two broken bones in eight years in my studio, and one was her, and it was her wrist. To be fair, though, she was always so gangly, and she had such incredible, <laughs> yeah, the most amazing physique. But like tiny little bones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And tiny ankles, like so strong in places and then like really fine bones. So it doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> no, no. But I definitely, um, I definitely agree with you. I think you and I both, and see, this is the hard thing. And I think this is what a lot of people don't understand is that because people have said to me, oh, well, you survived, <laughs> survived um, the extreme stretching. But I think you and I both have a very athletic build. And no. And so the good thing about an athletic build is that you are strong enough to carry that flexibility and anyone who didn't have an athletic build sort of crumbled a bit under the extreme flexibility. But then we had so much pressure on us as an athletic build to have that flexibility, but lose the athletic build and become mm -hmm. 
tiny and it just oh my god like it just I think about it and I'm like are you like me I get a bit frustrated because sometimes I wish that Instagram was around when I was a young dancer because if I had have seen Misty Copeland and Sarah Mearns and um, oh there's another great one I can't remember her name who just have that more they're still tiny but they've got that build that I had yeah we didn't we weren't inundated with content option and different viewpoints back then no you know that wasn't it wasn't a thing and I think that's sad yeah I think it's sad because I I thought there was something wrong with me you know what I mean yeah yep it's just (laughs) disappointing really it's disappointing when you know that those people that were looking after you, whether it's actually any of my teachers growing up, not just the crazy one that you and I both had. Um, it's disappointing that none of them said, Georgia, you know, there's this person and this person and they've got a body just like you, you keep doing you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was like, no, you got to look like Sylvie Guillen. I mean, no one looks like Sylvie Guillen. I mean, you're no. the closest in regards to extensions that I've ever come across in regards <laughs> to Sylvie Guillen. For those that uh, don't know, they need to go on your Instagram or something. Or I don't know. Have you got videos on YouTube? You are the most beautiful dancer with the most beautiful extensions. Oh, that's very kind. <laughs> no, like, no, like really. I just wanted to be you growing up. You do realize that, right? That's why I invited you over to family dinner. I just wanted to be you, Rose. (laughs) That's so awkward, no. (laughs) It's not awkward, it's just true. (laughs) Do you know what, though? I think that I feel like I've moved to a place where I now, I I don't, I'm not, I don't teach kids. I'm not really interested in it. I do it occasionally, but I mentor a few um, girls and I have two which are, you know, my, my, I joke with them that I don't ha- need to have kids because I have them and they're more than enough for me. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I would say to them, like, I try now to break the, break the cycle or break the whatever it was, you know, that we experienced that has impacted us as adults yeah. by being who I needed at their age for them. And I know, you know, you try and do the same for your students, you know, you try and be everything that we didn't have in order to, you know, break, break any kind of negative um, cycle that occurs in dance, dance students or in students, any kind of student. Um, but that being said, I really think that now being older and, you know, having done as much as I have, and I've lived more in, you know, my years on this planet than some people do. And you know when they're 60 and I think to the people that had such massive influence um, on us in such formative years they honestly didn't know better I think they were really uneducated and I think they were really unaware of what they were doing and I think it's taken me you know almost 30 years to actually get to a point where I I don't feel I get frustrated sometimes because you know I still have you know unhealthy relationships towards my body and towards food and all of those types of things and I'm very very open with that but I think that my anger or my frustration is is slowly diminishing because I just think I really pity you for thinking that you were making an impact 
or that you were changing something or that you had any kind of knowledge or you had any kind of talent because actually when I think back to even on a dance level I didn't start to actually become who I am as an artist now until I moved countries until I experienced other people until you know I was allowed to reconnect with my family you know there's so many things that I'm just kind of like whatever I guess in a nutshell what I'm trying to say is anyone that is going through anything whether that be um you know, a teacher-student situation in a family situation that doesn't feel quite right. Try not to let it get the best of you and try and focus on, you know, what you can control. And that will, it just gives you so much more freedom, you know, to create who you want to create for yourself as opposed to trying to tick boxes or trying to seek validation from people who actually don't deserve it. You know, like I think back to, you know, the only person that I, or people that I try and impress now is, you know, a whole lot of no one and myself because I'm so incredibly hard on myself creatively and as a person, but there isn't, you're not letting anyone, no one cares, <laughs> you know, like everyone's just doing their thing. We have this, I was with a friend of mine yesterday who's with Norwegian National Ballet and, you know, even having a chat with her you know she was like I just wish that there was a way that I could you know do something different and not have everyone you know think that I I didn't do what I should have done and I'm like no one cares we have we we get we get fed this information as kids that one you know the way to be a professional dancer is ballet school ballet company retired die yeah which is just completely wrong and ill-informed and we have another thing that is this like massive pressure that if we choose to do something different or outside the box that everyone's going to think badly of us. And it's the most self-indulgent way to, and it's just the most self-indulgent thing to put in a child's head because it's so incredibly backwards. Like no one, no one has an opinion as to what you do except for you. Like, and that goes for, so many things and I think yeah I mean I sorry I didn't mean to like rant on that so much but I think fundamentally it just comes down to getting to a point where I take my battle scars and use them as you know weapons now and I, I'm I think that that's something that is really 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 valuable for people to you know use moving forward in any capacity yeah no, I and I take my hat off to you. I have moments <laughs> and yeah. I and it's funny actually, I it's funny, like I have people remind me, they go, Well, Georgia, you wouldn't probably be doing the work that you're doing. You wouldn't have balanced ballerinas, you wouldn't have your studio and its morals and its ethics the way that they are and and they wouldn't be as strong if you didn't go through what you went through. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, but sometimes it's hard. You just get a little bit angry at them. It's a process though. Like everything is a process, you know, but it's also, I think, important to remember that it's all temporary and, you know, everything is temporary, good, bad and ugly. So when it comes in, don't fight it. Just let yourself feel it for that moment and then let it go. <laughs> you know? I um, It's funny though. I agree, I agree with you too about the whole like, um, the self-indulgence of thinking that people care about what you're doing. It's really funny. Um, I had this moment the other day where 
I had promised, what did I promise? I promised during coronavirus because I thought, I thought I'd be sitting at home doing nothing, but apparently uh, when the studio is closed, I've had more work to do than anything. Um, <laughs> but um, it's really funny. I promised everyone a new episode every week and I only do fortnightly episodes and I didn't drop one and I felt sick that Monday. I was like, Oh my God, I promised everyone an episode every week, even though for the past 18 months I've been doing it fortnightly. Mm. Guess what? No one noticed except no. one person. Yeah. Out of like 20,000 listeners or listens or whatever, one person noticed because guess what, Georgia, no one cares what you're doing except for you it's nice if you drop an episode but no one's gonna die people appreciate it when you do it or when you mm-hmm. create you can share something but they don't care if you don't exactly like <laughs> <laughs> and i think sometimes i think sometimes i am on a little bit of a mission in regards to and i need to take a dose of my own medicine too but it's really funny. I think ballet is one of those things. It's very similar to tennis. It's a lone soldier sport. Let's call it a sport just for the sake of this, this moment, but it is a very lone soldier sport. And when you are a dancer and especially when you're like we were in that sort of elite level, you're pre-professional, you're very much trained to think me, me, me. And to some extent you actually have to think me, me, me to get there. But I don't think that creates a very nice human being. And so I guess that's where the whole concept of balance comes from for me. See, I don't even know if it's balance because actually I'm the most unbalanced person you'll ever meet in your life. I, um, yeah, I, I don't feel like balance is my thing. And I've had multiple people be like, you need balance. And actually I'm like, I kind of like how I am. So until I feel unbalanced, I'm going to just stay as is. But I think that it's not a bad thing to be self-focused, but if your actions and your behavior is starting to affect the people around you in in a negative way, then maybe you need to take a step back and shift your approach to it because actually long-term like you were speaking before about you know having long-term goals I'm exactly the same everything I do is for longevity you know everything that I risk or I'm trying to build is not a quick fix and I think that's one of those things you know you've got to kind of navigate a way to be incredibly focused on yourself and your growth you know technically artist like artistry everything has to be kind of involved but then also you need to know at what point is that impacting people around you positively or negatively and how do you remove yourself from that and like step back for a second and then reapproach it with a different way. Because actually in order to be really consistent, you have to be self-focused in a way, but actually I find it the opposite. I feel like I can give more to other people if I spend that hour and a half a day just in my meditative ballet class zone, you know? So I think I completely agree. Completely agree. Yeah. I don't, mm, I, I don't, um, I mean, okay, let's take, for example, at the moment, um, I mean, the boyfriend is at home (laughs) working from home. (laughs) 
<laughs> we stare at each other every day unless I go to the studio for three hours and um, teach my online classes. We are together all day at home in my little apartment. Mm. I think it's the same concept of if I go for a walk in the morning, which I have done, I, I'm actually really proud of myself. I've gotten up at 6am every day. I go for my walk. Stories and the time and I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I do I get up at 6am I go for my walk along the beach I look at the ocean I come home I've done yoga every day Rose every day I put either a 20 minute or a 45 minute 45 minutes my max I'm like an hour no I'm good um (laughs) and I roll my mat out and I yeah yeah and I do it um and I just do it not just for me I actually also do it for him (laughs) I do it for my students so that I'm calmer if I'm about to take classes that afternoon I do it for anyone who I'm on a phone call with that day like you don't just do it for yourself (laughs) no no absolutely not but as but as someone who's built their entire brand around the word balance, I do want to point out that I always say to everybody that balance looks completely different for everyone. Yeah, my true. schedule, I mean, I'm someone that works 9am till 9pm when the studio is open. Mm-hmm. But that for me is balanced. Yeah. Because that's just what I'm happy doing. And that's the way that my life is and that I enjoy it. But that's not balance for someone else. And so yeah. I think that's, it, that's why it's really interesting when I am talking to different people, nine times out of 10 people will say, oh, like my week or my life probably isn't very balanced. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, but are you happy? And if they say yes, well, then that is balanced. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, definitely. So, so you are balanced because you're doing what you love. Yeah. I think with, you know, and maybe it is a a bit of a residual head issues from, you know, being younger. But I think the few times where I've had close people point out to me that, you know, I need to step back or, you know, chill a bit is because I guess with my training and creating and what I do, sometimes I go so extreme that it borderlines a bit of like masochism (laughs) in a way um you know because I do get pleasure out of you know being in a studio for nine hours like you teach for nine hours I will literally dance until I physically can't walk sometimes and then we'll literally sleep and then go back and just keep at it and that it's a weird sense of gratification and it's not bad if I'm working on a show it's actually worse when I'm in between shows and I I have that time just train and then I feel like it gets into a kind of an unhealthy kind of headspace but again process I'm more aware of it now um than I was a few years ago and you know it's same with you know food and everything if I feel like anything in life is getting out of my control or things are happening that are out of my control my training and food and like things I can control become like this and I become a little bit special <laughs> for, for a few weeks um oh, but yeah I can relate. but you're right like balance is it's um it's all relative and it, it depends on the person and their lifestyle and what they do and mm. yeah. yeah I wanted you I wanted you to share with the listeners about um your 
show that almost didn't happen last year because I just think it's a really good, like I was telling you, I think it's just a really good story and it's a really good tale. And, you know, we learn from the things that challenge us or perhaps go wrong. Um, And it's a really good insight into just how bloody hard it is to put on anything creative and anything for the, for the public that just, you know, lights your heart on fire. And I, I just wanted you to share that with everyone because when you told me, I was like, oh, my God, like my heart just broke for you. Yeah, well, so I guess so I started and founded International Arts Collective five years ago, yesterday, actually. It's our five-year anniversary. Um, and we've never had a, you know, government funding or anything like that and you know any kind of arts funding is is you know, dire. even before coronavirus hit you know the arts is always kind of beginning um i've been very fortunate to over the past few years have um i have some really big clients in asia who you know would pay us in order to do shows so i was able to provide a lot of work for my team that was traveling and whatnot um i did my first production in london in 2016 that was just a one-off show. All of my team um, did rehearsals and everything for free. This was literally yeah. us making our impact and like showing London who we are and all those kinds of things. And I funded that myself. So I worked for 12 months and and every cent that I earned, I spent, I think, eight or 9,000 pounds to put that show on. And so that was great. And then we've done like bits and pieces overseas since then. And then last year, we actually had... Uh, some money come in and I had three nights of shows planned we had an incredible old heritage listed building like I never do shows in theatres in London I always Mm. try and find a a space that I can convert into a performance space Um, so I had 10 dancers no 15 dancers and three musicians Um, and so we had like a month of rehearsals planned and the three shows it was also supposed to be turned at the beginning of us working on a documentary. And then we basically lost everything, um, you know, mid-rehearsal. And it basically meant that I had to find in excess of £30,000 in a week um, in order to actually make it go on. Um, and again, How did I think you lose everything? Lots of stuff that was business wise with the investment side of things that went wrong. There wasn't actually anyone doing wrong by me. It was actually like, I was like third down the food chain of things not kind of coming through for people. And unfortunately it it just put me in a position where I had, I basically had the decision of, of saying, okay, we can't do this or finding a way to put it on anyway. And I think there was a, there was, I don't think I slept for a month. And I think that the amount of stress and everything that was involved was so extortionate that it's actually almost a bit like childbirth. I like blacked it out. Like it was really, really bad. Um, But it was also one of those things where, you know, I had to like swallow my pride and swallow any kind of, I didn't even know what the word is, but I, I do, I've done everything by myself for so long and I'm so mm. fierce 
often. I don't lean on people. I've been single for five years for a reason and I don't want to ever lean on people and, you know, all of those things. And I had to literally lean on and reach out to anybody and everybody I could possibly think of in order to get enough money to finalize the venue, to cover wages, to pay for the sun and lighting, like all of the things that, and it wasn't excessive. I'm talking, you know, the costumes I essentially made myself, you know, yeah. we had candlelight and, and there were so many things that, you know, we want, um, you know, 30,000 pounds for a three, for three nights of a show is actually uh, like nothing, like absolutely nothing. And I, I accepted that I was going to absorb that as personal debt in order to make this happen. Now, I don't know how it happened, but I managed to do it. And, you know, I had, you know, some owner, I can't say names, but I had some owners of, of venues in, in London who just knew what I was trying to do, who overnight sent me £10,000. And, you know, crazy, crazy generosity from people. Um, to make it happen. Um, it kept getting worse. And after our second show, the sound and lighting people had actually given us faulty equipment. And instead of coming to fix it, they actually came in and took everything. Um, so the third show, which was our last show, was done completely by candlelight and by one of my dancers who wasn't actually in the show um, at the time literally running around London finding lamps and anything possible to actually light the venue. Um, my musicians, I feel like I'm going to cry talking about this because actually it's still really like... <clears throat> raw, yeah. My musicians, played, they were all playing live, but they actually did the sound engineering and were playing keyboards and drums and sound engineering all at the same time whilst, you know, performing. And at the end of that show, you know, we all kind of myself and the musicians and, and Sophie, who is like my right hand, we were all like, that is why we do what we do. It's about the raw art. It's about sharing and giving to anyone and everyone possible. You know, I, I create these things because one, dancers don't have, um, a lot of professional dancers, and I think people should know this, you know, even if you join a ballet company or if you're working for other people, you don't have creative freedom very often. No. And one of the reasons that I started the company is because I felt really stuck. I'd, I'd worked for so many people and I was like, I feel limited. I feel like choreographically I've got more. I feel like physically I've got more. And I had a handful of dancers who were kind of hungry for that as well. So in a nutshell, you know, I then had to deal with the fact that probably 70% of my team were very obviously not in my corner, even though they said that they were and had benefited from work from me and traveling the world for the past four years. And that in itself was like a dagger through the heart because nobody asked me to build this or do what I'm doing, but also everyone's benefited from it. And it took, you know, me literally losing everything. Like I had to go under, you know, uh, type of it's not bankruptcy like it's something slightly under that in order to relieve one side of things I had nowhere to live I was sleeping on my friend's couch I then worked three different projects in three different countries overlapping in order to make enough money to pay everyone's wages and honor the contracts that I had given them um, everything that you know makes me makes me do what I do 
at the same time was all almost telling me like you're doing it wrong because I had to kind of step back and realize for the first time that if I don't put myself first and I don't worry about me first actually I'm not going to be able to give to anyone but more importantly the people who are actually artists and who operate the same way as I do are probably four or five it's not the 20 who are like vultures who want to work with me. You know, they want to work with me because they know that I give them cool content and they like the team and they get paid. And that I think more than anything was the biggest um, learning curve. Learning curve and heart and you know, all of these things. And I, I think people are very quick to complain about the fact that there's not enough work for dancers or that they don't get to do the type of work that they you know, want to do or all of these things, but nobody is, not nobody, but very few people um, are willing to actually put risk on themselves in order to do that. You know, the other thing as well is, you know, everyone has great ideas, you know, in London and New York in particular, you know, I think that creatively, these are the two best cities in the world to be a creative because Mm. it is a hub of different types of art forms. But knowing where you're putting your energy and when it's worth absorbing risk in order to create something is one thing. But I think fundamentally producing things is what's important. Like I, I could talk about doing a show and creating a show and I've got people that I've worked with for years who have been like, we're going to do a show. We're going to do a show. They're never going to do a show. You know, you have to like at some point in time, you have to just suck it up and produce it or don't. But having the right people around you is key. But that being said, I wouldn't have known if things hadn't have got that bad and I hadn't gone through what I'd gone through, I actually wouldn't have seen the side of people that I saw. So I would have kept working with them long-term because no way of knowing that. And, you know, I have my little apprentice who I adore, who is 18 now, who I've been coaching since she was 15. She said to me, she's a very wise little owl, that one. She said to me one night when I was, I was so debilitatingly stressed that I couldn't, I couldn't teach. I went to teach a class one night and I turned the music on and literally collapsed. You know, I, I was hospitalized twice. I was working to the point of accession to do right by everyone and no one cared. And she was the one that said to me, when are you going to realize that they don't care about you? And that's okay. But you don't, you don't, you think that everyone cares about you the way that you care about them in this industry and they don't, that they're in it for a, for a a paycheck or they're in it for the name and lights or they're in it for something, you know, and it's not about the people. So enlightening is the, the word that I will use, but also I think that people need to realize that if you do want to, be an artist and you have the capacity to be an artist you have to be action and not not just words you know and if that means that if you want to produce something that you've got to pay for it yourself in order to get the funding you have to be willing to do that otherwise nothing gets shifted nothing changes so yeah that's a kind of like roundabout in a nutshell way of of explaining kind of what what I went through but you know there was 
you know, a, a good few months where I couldn't even watch the footage. It wasn't until I was at the album launch of some of the musicians who they, they were like, you need to watch it, you know, because you need to remember why you're putting yourself through this. Um, when I did, I, I sat down and I just cried because it was worth it. And, you know, that is a really key moment for me. You know, what I created hadn't been seen before in London. And it was different musically, creatively, choreographically. Like, and I think that the industry needs that injection of fresh blood or that injection of originality because, you know, part of the reason that I stopped with the ballet is like, I never want to do a Swan Lake again. I never want to do a remake of something that has been done for a hundred years, not because I don't respect it or not because I haven't done it, but because I want to create the new version of that and the new version of, you know, our age group and our generation, we are stuck between having a voice and tradition. And I think at some point we need to take risks in order to be taken seriously. And if that was just one little baby step to do that, then it was all worth it. Would you do it again? That's the question. Uh, well, <laughs> yes. Well, it's funny, actually. So I have a white, obviously, I know you can't all see me, but I have a white ball behind me, which has actually been covered with my next plan. Um, yeah, I will. I mean, I am going to do it again. For a long time, I, I contemplated whether or not I was going to actually just liquidate the company and just focus on my own projects and whether it was worth it. And no it is worth it it's it's worth fighting for and some businesses with money and in tech during the last five years i'm in the arts and i've lasted five years like it's worth it's worth um holding on a bit longer and actually the next project will be funded differently hopefully and it's going to be with the right people with a smaller team um and we're actually going to be working on a show and film simultaneously. So it's actually going to be very, very different, very, very different um, setup and everything will be how it should be. But if I hadn't gone through what I've been through with people, places and things in the past five years, I wouldn't be approaching anything like this because I wouldn't think I or wouldn't think I had to. So, yeah. Yeah. It's funny you say um, if you were to, you know, move forward and tackle that, again, you would do it with a smaller team. And I, for years, have always kept a very small team. I think the biggest my studio got to was about eight or nine staff. And even then I was like, oh, this is too big. <laughs> and we're back down to, I think, five. Um, and it's really funny over the last, because my studio is eight years old now, which is crazy, eight years old. Anyway, um, it's insane. But the amount of times that we've had clients or my staff or anyone really just say to us, oh, you should expand and you should take over next door and we can have more classes and more teachers and add, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I've always said no. And I've always been really hesitant. And I've been very like, no, I just, you know, I want to do what we do and do it really well. And I know that I need to keep my, it's my personality like you, I need to keep my eyes on everything and I need to have my finger in every pie. And, and I think, <laughs> no, look, it's not, <laughs> look, it's not the, the best, but it's just the way that I do things. And that has been a blessing during the pandemic because we, 
I don't have a huge team that I've had to sort of uh, fight for. Um, I don't have spaces that I need to fill. I don't have multiple rents that I need to take care of. Like it's, it's been a blessing without realizing it. And that's why I said at the start of our conversation that I kept saying at the start of the pandemic that I was lucky, I was lucky, but all along I've made this choice that. I don't really believe in luck. I've been saying this quite often actually. I think that luck is a weird one because you don't, I think some people might get handed things more easily, but I don't think it's luck. I think that if you put enough things in place over a certain amount of time, eventually it will pay off, you know, and sometimes it just doesn't happen in the way that you think it will, but it's not because you've been lucky. You, you and your, your team have worked for eight years to get yourself to a position where there's a global pandemic and you're not panicking. Like, that's not luck, my love. That's you being a businesswoman as far as I'm concerned. Like, yeah, yeah. I, had, I had a friend tell me that. I was saying that I was lucky and she said to me, she goes, you're not lucky, Georgia. Like, just take a bit of credit here. Like, you and your mama have run an incredibly tight ship and that's why you're not panicking. And, I mean, mind you, it's been incredibly stressful, like, this whole situation. Have you noticed? Look, I cut my hair off. I did notice that you cut your hair off. You know why I cut my hair off, Rose? Because because I'm like, it keeps falling out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> From stress. I'm like a mermaid right now. I haven't had a haircut for like, I don't know, a year. It's like down to my butt. <laughs> oh my gosh, it is long. Well, mine was getting there. Mine was pretty close to my butt. And I walked into the hairdresser yesterday and he goes, I said, I'm really sorry. Um, you're going to yell at me because I have another bald patch. <laughs> and he goes, where? And I was like, I'm really sorry. It's like all at the front here, like they're baby hairs. And, and, um, and he goes, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, just chop it off. And he goes, well, okay, you've got a lot of hair here. Like how short are we talking? And I'm like, collarbone, let's go collarbone. And he goes, okay, has something, you know, crazy happened in your life? Like I, I need to ask, are you, are you sane? Are you okay? Yeah. And I'm like, well, besides the global pandemic, I'm fine. <laughs> but um, it's really, um, yeah, this time's really crazy. I had a friend call me the other day and um, she's also a dance teacher, and but she, um, she works for someone else and she was very hesitant about online and it was creating like a lot of stress for her. And mm-hmm. she has a small business also that has nothing to do with the dance world at all but she's been working really crazy in that trying to pivot. And Oh my God, if I hear the word pivot one more time though, I'm going to shoot myself. But um, yeah, anyway, so she's been trying to pivot. She's been hesitant with online teaching. She's got a daughter. She's, you know, trying to navigate homeschooling and as a single mum. And she woke up the other day with Bell's palsy, half of her face just drooping. And I'm just like, This is just, this is just such a crazy time. And I just, the amount of stress that it's putting people under is just very, very worrying. Yeah, it's weird actually, but like you, like it's stressful, but also I think I had my COVID-19 last year. So I feel weirdly like settled. (laughs) I feel like I went through my own personal pandemic for 
six months last year. So actually when everything happened, I was like, ah, uh, all right. Like, and everyone was going into panic mode. And I'm like, I haven't had a break for 12 years. So actually there's like, my body's like, thank you. <laughs> but you know, are, it's been going you, too long. Yeah. I was going to ask, are you, are you like worried at all about, you know, once everything returns to semi-normalcy? as an artist as someone in the creative arts industry i am and i'm not i think i think theater i'm worried about actual theater um but as i was saying before i define think that, define the difference for listeners so theater is musicals going to see full-length ballets um anything that's in an opera house or an actual theater like those that the side of the industry i think it's terrifying how close it is to collapse i don't know what it's like in oz i know that there's not as many theaters but you know broadway and the west end are you know potentially not going to be able to bounce back from this because all of the i don't know if people know really how it works but there's in west end for example there is I think four or five um, really big producers. So there's Cameron McIntosh and a few others who actually own the buildings and they, they are in charge of the production of, you know, Wicked and Hamilton and, you know, the Phantom of the Opera, shows that have been long-standing for 10, 15 years. Um, now, if theatres don't run at full capacity, they're automatically at a loss. And that is... That wasn't great anyway. You know, we've had for the past maybe two years on the West End, every show that's opened that hasn't been, you know, a Hamilton or a Wicked or, you know, the really big name shows hasn't lasted its full run. Um, they've all closed early because there hasn't been enough people buying tickets. So, and that was prior to the pandemic. So I think that coming out of this, it's going to be, I think, a very skeleton ghost town for a while. And I think when it does come back, it's not going to be the same as it was. And I don't know if it will ever be the same because taking a hit like this for an industry like that, that was already struggling <clears throat> is kind of hard to, it's very hard to comprehend. And I don't think that the government in the UK or in, the, in America are in a position to inject the amount of money needed in order to keep everything going. Um, that being said, I think that the, you know, that the, the biggest part of the entertainment industry, which, you know, when we were at school and, you know, if you are in an institution like school, um, you're not really told about is the freelance side of things. Now, you know, music videos, short films, photo shoots, TV commercials, film, like movies, um, TV series, all of these things. They are the big earners. They are the projects that don't last as long. They are also the projects that are already starting to go back into production. So I think that the way that we will work is going to be very different because of social distancing and everything like that. And I think the fight for those jobs is going to become more cutthroat than it ever has been because everyone's desperate for it. But I think the industry will bounce, that part of the industry will bounce back really, really quickly. Um, yeah. As they, they're able to, you know, like I've done countless castings and self tapes um, whilst in quarantine for, 
you know, a TV commercial in Barcelona and, you know, random bits and pieces here and there, which are, you know, sometimes in excess of £10,000 for one job, which is a week of work. Um, and they're all wanting to still go ahead as soon as flights lift. And, you know, so I think that there's a part of the industry that will actually be fine. Um, I think training will be difficult because of the way that studios will have to be um, thoroughly cleaned and have social distancing measures. And I think theater will struggle, but I think there are parts of the industry that will actually end up taking over and will carry the weight of, of everything for a good 12, 18 months, if not longer. Yeah. I'm, so, um, yeah. I'm glad that you said that. I mean, that's one thing that I do try and do, especially with, um, at the studio, I, I, take certificate two and certificate three students in dance. And I mean, these days it's a very uh, basic piece of paper that a lot of dancers have. But what I do try and do is I do add a layer of complexity to the course for my particular students. And I do let them know there are so many different industries that you can go into. And you and I grew up, you're right. We grew up in that time of like, you know, oh, you're really good at ballet, Georgia. Okay, well, this is the path. You're going to get into the Australian Ballet School, then you're going to get into the company. And if you don't get into the company, you're going to go do pre de and then you're going to go audition for all the companies around the world and different schools and stuff. And that was it. That's all I ever heard. No one ever told me that you could, you know, do anything, really. I mean... I'm talking next week to uh, Josephine, who's the um, uh, director of The Point Shop, and she danced as a young lady, and uh, she has the most amazing business now, you know, traveling the US being a point shoe fitter, and it's funny, like, I really make a point of telling all my students, you know, I've spoken to them about you, and I've spoken mm -hmm. to them about you know, Christiane and using her balletic skills as a stunt double for like movies. And I've spoken to them about people that I admire, like Josephine, who does that. Um, you know, you can be a physio, you know, like, and that specializes in dances. And, and it's just, yeah, I think that's also why it's so, I think that's also why the podcast was born too, so that I could showcase to young dancers who listen that like, most of the people on the show have, you know, started off by taking a ballet class and look where they are now. Like, yeah. And just yeah, highlight and I, that there's so many avenues. Yeah. I mean, like I literally do, I haven't worn a tutu for five years, but I do ballet class every day. I literally six days a week. I still do professional ballet class every day. And if I don't, I feel weird. Um, mm. And I don't, I do it because, like I said earlier, like it's meditative for me and also doing that every day keeps my technique and the finesse and the nuance that I need in order to have the creative freedom that I have. You know, I use it as a, it's, yeah, it's like my breakfast. Like I don't eat breakfast, I do ballet class. Like that's what I do every day. Like that, that's my, my thing. Um, but the it's thought like eating of, your vegetables. Yeah, it's just, what I do and the thought of, <laughs> I, I find it quite funny now knowing what I know and living where I've lived and, you know, like silly things. Like if you were to 
uh, want to work in the States, right? Um, you know, if you have an O-1 visa, which is the Alien of Extraordinary Ability visa, and you're working in New York, you still, you still can't work on Broadway. You need a green card. If you want to go to LA, you can only work on certain things. If you're in the States and you have an agent, you have to be 100% exclusive to that agent. Um, if you're in London, they encourage you to be with as many agents as possible. You know, there's so many things that are really crucial pieces of information that I think, I know, as I'm learning things, I share with as many people as I can because actually it really helps set you up for what you want to do and also figuring out where you fit, not fitting where everyone tells you to fit. You know, yeah. that, that's such a massive, massive part of it. You know, if you love ballet but ballet doesn't love you try something that's ballet infused or you know like it doesn't have to be the normal abc career because actually i find it quite dull and i don't know many of my friends who are in ballet companies who are incredibly fulfilled you know a lot of them stay because of the stability and the ones that you know if especially if they're not progressing in companies and those types of things like having the guts to want more and leave is sometimes way more um fulfilling than staying like there's so many little like different ways of approaching and different ways of thinking that i think can enhance your life as a whole not just your career um yeah so definitely with um i wanted to sort of you know we've been speaking for an hour over an hour <laughs> crazy hey crazy i could i could talk to you for like four hours but um <laughs> we've look we've actually spoken and a lot of young young dancers actually listen to the podcast and i just thought you know you and i have spoken a lot about uh when we were younger and i just thought i'd round off our conversation by asking you like if you were to go back to little rosie that was 12 13 14 like what what would you say to her do you know, weirdly, as much as I am very anti-institution, I really wish that I had had a bit more structure. I think mentally that would have really helped me. And I think that if I had been somewhere like, you know, um, School of American Ballet, or if I had been at Royal, um, even for a few years of training, I think I still would have ended up leaving the traditional ballet world 100%. But I think mentally it would have been really good for my head um but i think fundamentally if i could say anything to myself it would be yeah don't clip your wings like if it does and trust your gut if it doesn't feel right it's not right and that's okay you know the there's so many i guess it's maybe a hierarchy thing within the dance industry you know where you're taught that dancers aren't allowed to have a voice and you know you, you mm. can't speak to people that is absolutely not the case and i and i really really wish that people would tell younger dancers that as well you're allowed to have a voice you're allowed to speak up if you're uncomfortable with something um there's a difference between speaking up and and asking questions and being disrespectful and finding that that finding that balance and finding where that is is absolutely key to progressing massively so yeah you're allowed to be heard 
Thank you so much for listening. As always, it would mean the world to me if you could rate and subscribe if you enjoyed this episode. I also love hearing and seeing where and when people are listening and what you thought of the episode. So take a screenshot and tag at Balance Ballerinas or at The Balance Ballerina on Instagram. Thanks so much for listening.